Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome back to the show, Ridiculous Historians. Thank you, as always, so much for tuning in. Let's hear it for the man, the myth, the legend, super producer, Max Entertainment Williams. Yeah, everyone, if you were wondering what the E stands for, because we've all, in the Ridiculous History lore, we're always going on about Max's mysterious E middle name, because that's definitely a thing, Mm -hmm. right, Max? Yeah, definitely. It's definitely not J. Definitely no, not well, J. I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, e, e equals entertainment because Max is nothing if not uh, entertaining. Today's topic, I think, is something we've all been looking forward to. Um, in addition to our research associate, the amazing Dr. Z, Dr. Zach, Dr. Zed, if you're Canadian. I think it hits a little different for me and Ben. Max, I think you probably probably grew up going to some iteration of the Chuck E. Cheese franchise, you know, scenario when you were a kid. But Ben and I are of a certain age. Pretty sure we went to the OG, or at least what we thought was the OG until we researched the story, Showbiz Pizza, featuring the, the terrifying performances of the animatronic Rock of Fire Explosion Band. Yeah, it's uh, a- a.k.a. every child's first introduction to a casino, because the idea is like if you're a kid, this is a miraculous thing, right? You get to show up. They have pizza, uh, which is still very, very hot in many demographics, including podcasters. Mm-hmm. And uh, Noel, then you get all the games and the entire time there's this magical animatronic band. And if you're young enough I think it looks like they're actually playing. That's a question for you. When you saw those bands as a wee tyke, were you old enough to realize they were kind of just sort of pretending to play? I don't remember. 
honestly. Like it, it, it does feel sort of the way as, as, a, as an idiot child, uh, you might interpret like someone in a suit, you know, like, like oh, wearing yeah. like, a, like a mouse suit or like, you know, at Disney or whatever. The movements are mega uncanny valley. Uh, looking at them now, at pretty much nightmare fuel. But I remember as a kid being really charmed by them and, and really feeling like they did have like life within them. Um, and that's a testament to, to the creators and then the whole thinking behind these types of uh, these types of experiences. It really did all start, you know, in a way, I think, with Disney and the Imagineers. I just was lucky enough to um, go to Disney World in Florida with my family. And I think my favorite part were some of the older rides that incorporated that early kind of Imagineer animatronic stuff like uh, the Country Bears Jamboree, which I would argue, I don't know the timeline exactly, but Pretty sure that this whole Chuck E. Cheese Rocket Fire Explosion animatronic band, an utter ripoff of, of, of the Country Bears Jamboree, because that is a stage situation with, with guests that pop in and you're in a little theater and there's, you know, posters on the wall as if the, 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 the stars of the show are actual real life, you know, celebrities and stuff. Pretty sure that's where it came from. I could I could see that, too. And, you know, when I was abroad most recently in Japan, there are a ton of um, venues and, and restaurants that have stuff like this going on. It's just really, really cool. And today we're going to talk about what our pal Dr. Z calls the many lives of Charles Entertainment Cheese. I'm with you on the timeline because it might be surprising for a lot of us to know that this story dates back to the 1970s. In May of 1977, San Jose, California, the uh, one of the Atari co-founders, Nolan Bushnell, said, hey, let's let's zhuzh up your average pizza place. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Let's let's make it let's make it not just a pizza, not just a caricature of an Italian chef on the boxes. Let's get some robots in there. Uh, and then, you know, we can't really. You can't really put boundaries on art, right? So these robots are real characters. One of them uh, who might not have aged well is a rat who has a Jersey accent for some reason <laughs> and is chain smoking. Yeah, like giant cigars. He's like clearly mob connected. Uh, and I just, I, I, do, I do just want to add, we, we don't have to jump back to this, but this is 77. Country Bear Jamboree was debuted in Florida, in Orlando, in 1971 um, at, the, at the Magic Kingdom. There's a great documentary about this. Mm-hmm. And again, like in the Rocket Fire Explosion documentary that, that I think you're referencing, they don't really exactly cop to ripping that off, but it's 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 eerily similar. It's like if anyone, it's pretty much the same. Yeah, man, it's kind of like that uh, behind the music interview with Vanilla Ice about the beat for Under Pressure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so Nolan Bushnell grew up in Utah. He said he had an engineering degree. He had a background in kind of, you know, in amusement parks and kind of like carnival type atmospheres. He learned that there was a business side to these types of shows and these types of traveling, you know, scenarios. And um, he started to pay really close attention to 
consumers and the kinds of things that they liked and their their patterns and their habits, right? Sort of the way, you know, you think about the way like a grocery store is is organized in order to kind of capitalize on people's, you know, what, what, what attracts them and like to put things in a certain order so that they give the maximum yield out of your customer. I mean, it, you know, it's just part of it. It's all about making money. And that's what he was doing. Um, he graduated uh, the University of Utah, and then he moved to California, and he wanted to be an engineer for ding, 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 Disney. And they don't call them engineers there, do they? They call them Imagineers. They do, they do. And this was already, he's, so he's an early adopter of this kind of stuff, and it's a dream job, right? Obviously, and in many ways, it's still a dream job today. A good friend of ours, friends of the show, Andrew Howard, who you might recognize from our uh, sister podcast, Saver, he has uh, he has Imagineers in his family. So cool, right? So, um, so let's go to Ted Dabney. Ted Dabney is a friend of Nolan Bushnell's, and together they co-found Atari. And Ted is always Ted is always very very forthright about this. He says the idea that became pizza time was Nolan Bushnell's dream. It was the beginning of everything. He didn't even think about a video game until later. Apparently, according to Ted, his pal Nolan would take them around to different restaurants and they would go look at the restaurants and they would say like, okay, what's working here? How can we get robots involved? Exactly. You know, how can, how can we make this uh, a bait? Uh, like, how can we make this Disneyland at home? I love that this was like, this was truly the dream. And then kind of, you know, the video game industry, they kind of invented by accident. I mean, not wasn't by accident, right. but you know, it, it put that whole pizza dream on, on, on the back burner. Because yeah, Dabney uh, and Bushnell started working on something called Computer Space, the world's very first commercial arcade machine uh, in 1970. He never quite let the, the, the pizza dream die. You know, he sort of like had it in reserve, but uh, they went on in 1972 to found a little company you might have heard of called Atari and created a little game you might have heard of that seems really crazily dated now, but at the time was absolutely just, you know, a craze. Pong. Boop. Boop, boop. <laughs> you know the one. Mm -hmm. The two paddles on each side and like, you know, you could play against somebody in the same room. Um, well, I guess everything was in the same room at the time because there was no online gaming yet. By the way, all of this stuff makes me think of an incredible show that I've been sleeping on for years. It was recommended to me called Halt and Catch Fire um, that is about sort of the PC like race of the 1970s and 80s. And all of this kind of Atari stuff and all of this sort of like nascent computer tech that, again, by today's standards, when you look at the product, seems so dated. It shows you kind of the behind the scenes of how scrappy all these folks were and how forward thinking. Highly recommend Halt and Catch Fire. And it has an amazing, like, post-punk kind of soundtrack. Yeah. And there's there there's a lot of good uh, or fantastic documentary work about the early days of video games. I used to write a series uh many years ago now called Stuff of Genius, which I right. mentioned before. Yeah. And we talk about, we talk about Bushnell. We also talk about the success of early Atari and Pong. It's, it's pretty crazy, right? Because you never know what the lightning in the bottle will be. That's why for almost every story of an inventor or a great luminary, uh, you, you will see that they had 
a cavalcade of other stuff that they were interested in. You know what I mean? Like Newton's really into alchemy. He was hoping it'd be pizza, but it just so happened that it was video games. So pizza had to kind of take a back seat, right? Right. But Dave and Buster's figured out, yes, yes, just so. Dave and Buster's picked up the mantle there, I would argue, right? Well, I don't know exactly. We're not here to talk about the history of David, but we'll leave that for another day. Again, Pong, massive, credited as being the first, like, commercial, huge blockbuster success. And when you go back and look at it now, or any of the games from that era, it's like, what is that? And the thing about Pong, though, was that it was fast. Like, the feedback, you know, of moving those paddles, like, it it felt fair. Mm -hmm. There was a certain amount of skill that was involved. Unlike games like E.T., most of which ended up in a landfill. That's also a story Mm -hmm. for another day. That's a true Um, story. It is a very true story. But the industry that essentially uh, Bushnell and Dabney founded is today worth, you know, uh, close to $100 billion and and just more advanced than any of these folks at the time Mm -hmm. ever could have dreamed of. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Mint Mobile. You know, Ben, I got to say, one of the best parts about spring cleaning is that post-clean clarity you get where you're like, man, how have I been living like this? What's wrong with me? <laughs> you're right, Noel. It's, it's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless when Mint Mobile has phone plans for 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. That's mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure... It kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, my name's Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose, I just had a great conversation with Michael B. Jordan, and you can listen to it right now. Michael is known for his performances in both film and television. His breakout role was in Fruitvale Station, playing Oscar Grant, which earned him widespread praise and numerous award nominations. His portrayal of Killmonger in Marvel's Black Panther, one of my favorites, 
further solidified his status as one of Hollywood's leading actors, earning him widespread acclaim for his complex and compelling performance. In our conversation, Michael really opens up. You're going to love listening to it, and I can't wait for you to check it out. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. It's always the feeling when you're getting ready to, you know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. People quit. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, and they said, look, the profits at Atari are, are magnificent. We're doing gangbusters. We're doing, uh, we're doing busters numbers here. And there's not really a way for us to stay competitive because so many other forces are entering this market and innovating in their own way. So eventually, Nolan sells Atari to Warner Communications in 1976 for $28 million. And uh, what do you say, guys? Should we do an inflation calculation there? Can we have a boop? And a boop. And a boop. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and a beep, beep, beep. What do we got? What do we got? What do we got? And we're talking $28 million in 1976 dollars. Today would be a whopping a boop. And a boop. Oh, we have to skip it. It won't let us do 10. Oh, yeah. Well, okay, here's how we'll do it. And a boop. Yeah, I don't know how much of this we want to leave in. Uh, spoiler alert, folks, we're not great at math. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, apparently neither is the internet. <laughs> so this is so much money that, hang on. <laughs> okay. Oh, wow. Just this alone is making this a two-part episode. Uh, okay, it. this is so much money that we had to go to our trusty inflation calculator and put it in in a couple of different blocks. So $28 million, 1976, like you said, Noel, today that is $151 million, $151,502,158.28. That's crazy. That's crazy. What we're saying is he didn't need the money. No, he didn't. He didn't need the money, obviously. But you know what? A lot of times these types of creators, the true creators, they're not the business guys. And again, you'll see that if you watch Halt and Catch Fire, they really do a good job of showing those types and like the true creative innovators versus like the the ones that are just in it to make to turn a profit. So, yeah, he also, though, did in order to get that payout, have to sign a five year non-compete agreement, which is the killer of creatives, right? Right. If you're if you can't compete in that space anymore, he did remain uh, on as head of Atari. But because of now being part of this giant corporate structure, he wasn't able to innovate like he used to be able to. That's another price of, of you know, I wouldn't call this. I mean, I don't know. Selling out is such a loaded term, but that is one of the prices of, of you know, selling your, your company is you unless you have it very specifically outlined in the terms, you know, you're going to have a new corporate overlord. But there was one project that he got the green light on, and it involved it's pizza. It's the restaurant. Yeah. It's the restaurant. Of Thank all God. his ideas, the suits are saying, like of all his ideas, the suits are saying, go back, Nolan. Go back to that uh, restaurant thing. Um, you had my attention, and now you have my interest. Mm-hmm. You know? 
Only at this stage, it was called Coyote Pizza. Um, and he, I guess he talks about an amusing anecdote of kind of selling the store, you know, selling the, the branding behind it. He ordered what he thought was a full-size coyote costume. And instead of a coyote, they screwed up or he maybe mis, you know, identified it in the catalog. It was a giant gray rat. Uh, Rick and Rat that costume, yeah, became very popular around the Atari HQ. So, so there, you might have clocked that at the beginning of the show, folks, where we said that there was this mascot that was a chain smoking rat with a Jersey accent. That was their Bob Ross happy accident of coyote pizza. And they said, okay, for a while, Rick Rat was so popular around the office that he became the unofficial mascot. For Atari, basically. I mean, you know, they're similar enough. They're both scavengers, you know. They both have kind of matted fur and eat carry-on and smoke cigars and wear bowler hats, you know. What, what you can do with a coyote, you can also do with a rat. So the suits at now Atari corporate are like, go with God. And they uh, essentially, they gave him, didn't they give him someone to, to help? Mm-hmm. him out the uh, gene landrum i believe his name yeah yeah so okay here's here's their idea uh and we've got quotes from uh gene on this so coyote pizza's taken off people love rick rat and gene says i did the complete business plan for the rollout of the atari 2600 it was going to take him another year to get it designed and put it into motion and nolan said Hey Gene, you got all this time. Go do a uh, go do a business plan just like you did before. I loved it, but go do it for this uh, family entertainment concept. And then Gene takes to it like a fish to water or a rat to smoking cigars. Apparently, <laughs> uh, he says he comes up with all the ideas. And um, you know, and Nolan, one thing that's really stand up about Nolan Bushnell is that he gives credit where he's where it's due. And he says in a real way to him, Gene is the founder of Chuck E. Cheese because Gene took this idea and made it reality, like renting the facility, hiring people, getting recipes, everything, right? Gene was on the ground floor for it. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, it really was a concept that outside of like, you know, the Country Bears Jamboree, which isn't a restaurant experience, it's just, you know, old honky tonk kind of show wasn't really out there. Um, So that even this was in the same way that Atari was really the first, you know, uh, home console to market. It didn't ultimately end up being the one that was the most impactful. That would have been the, the NES, you know, that came a little later. Because the 2600 that we were talking about, too, was plagued with all kinds of problems where they, like, ported over things like Pac-Man and made all these investments in, uh, you know, high-level intellectual property like E.T., but the ports didn't look very good. And then some of those bets on intellectual property really failed, like I mentioned at the top of the show, E.T. was such a poor seller that ended up in a landfill. But this whole restaurant concept thing really seemed to have legs. So uh, they do a little bit of shuffling around. Landrum is kind of he's 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 a bit not in charge, but he definitely has a, a, a say. And Landrum is developing this idea. Rick Rat's Pizza uh, starts to transform. Rick Rat's got to go. He says, "Nolan, we're making this a kid's place. We can't have a rat. It's too predatory and too lethal." Now that's interesting. Because we know kind of where things landed eventually with Charles Entertainment Cheese. 
Yeah, so they had to they had to compromise. Just like William Faulkner said, kill your darlings. You yes. know, you have to make tough decisions when it comes to effective creativity. And I'm sure they quoted Faulkner a lot in the early days of Chuck E. Cheese. Sure. Uh, so originally what they did is they tried to find something that was less maybe predatory or lethal because uh, Gene was concerned a rat would be kind of scary. So Rick Rat became Big Cheese. <laughs> Doesn't sound gangsterish at all. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, it, it sounds like he got a promotion in the mob. 100%. He's the Big Cheese now. Yeah, but he. Um, this was before the age of widespread internet, right? So they couldn't just Google the name, and it took them a second to learn that the name had already been taken. Somebody, some other company had trademarked Big Cheese. So they went to the next best thing, Chuck E. Cheese, which uh, Nolan called a three-smile name. That's really cute. And as we mentioned before, just like coincidentally with Max's mysterious E middle name, uh, the E stood for entertainment. But an important part, again, they don't speak about, you know, we know how litigious the mouse is. Uh, so you don't see a lot of people saying, you know, oh, yeah, that's definitely where we got or what we were trying to do. But Chuck E. Cheese, does that ring a bell? Mick E. Mouse? Chuck E. Cheese? Mm. I mean, you know, I guess when you steal, you steal from the best. We are going to get into a bit of, of how some of these things were lifted from the Imagineers in just a second. Yeah, yeah, because there is definitely there's definitely a vanilla ice, you know, queen situation going on here. So Landrum, despite his initial reservations, he actually was in the boardroom when uh, after he had made this first pitch, everybody went nuts. They loved it. And he said, I wouldn't hire me. Gene said, don't hire, I wouldn't hire me. I'm an electronics guy. But he got really into this and he started thinking about it very seriously. And he said, look, we want a family-friendly atmosphere. We don't want any of those rowdy hooligans that you see at other uh, pizza places. So our solution is that all minors will have to be accompanied by adults and uh, this this is something that occurs uh, today, right? Like, it, it also, if you think about it, and they don't say this, but if you think about it, it's a great way to make sure that every table has more customers. Yeah, not to mention that they also sell beer to this day that's, you know, for the adults. And uh, my kid is, is not of Chuck E. Cheese birthday party age anymore, but when she was a little younger, I remember taking her to one and uh, I'd obviously not been as a parent ever uh, before. And they do a thing. I don't know if they've always done this where they give you an invisible ink stamp on the back of your hand and on the back of your kid's hand. And they have to match so that when you leave, they shine a light on it and see if they match to make sure that no one's snatched somebody else's kid. Which, uh, I mean, it's a good safety measure, too. I agree. You know? Also, here's the thing. Why would you have your kid's birthday here? Well, you would have it there because technology comes together in a very cool way that is also a little bit cheaper than Disney, just being brass tacks here. If you go to this pizza place, then you are guaranteed to see animatronic, like live cartoon characters that sing songs and they do comedy bits like vaudeville style every eight minutes on the dot as you and your family and, and your kids' friends eat your pizza. The pizza is just sort of 
a smaller part of the experience or part of the gestalt here. People aren't going because they're rave Michelin star reviews of the pizza. And I'm bummed that when I was at Disney World, I didn't get a chance to go to another one of the inspirations for this outside of pizza, which was the Enchanted Tiki Room. And also, by by the way, if anyone's interested in in Disney history and the history of the Imagineers, there's a museum that's not affiliated with the Walt Disney Company. It's called the Walt Disney Family Museum. And Uh it's uh, it's in the Presidio in San Francisco. And they have a lot of the prototypes for those things and a lot of, like, the the technology that, like, Ub Iwerks invented, you know, who was one of the original kind of right-hand tech people at Disney, like the optical printer and the um, multiplane camera and all of that stuff. And they have like some of the, you know, the animatronic prototypes for what would end up being the the Tiki Room and the the Country Bear Jamboree. But yeah, surprise, surprise, the Country Bear Jamboree did predate all of this pizza time business. So, uh, and as we know, uh, Bushnell originally wanted to go to work as an Imagineer at Disney. So it makes sense. I would say probably goes a bit beyond inspiration and a little more straight out, Theft? I don't know. But I, I, I haven't heard anything about any lawsuits because we know that Disney is very litigious and nothing in our research pointed to any serious, you know, legal cases between the two companies. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good point. It's a good point. Maybe they gave them a pass because if you think about it, the existence of a Chuck E. Cheese at this point in time is also helpful for Disney. Right. It's true. So it makes them look good as well. There may have been a calculation there. Also, I got to just say, you know, plagiarism aside, whether or not we want to consider this stealing, and it does cleave pretty closely to Disney, uh, just for the record, if you put all that to one side, the technology behind it is so impressive. They automated these with reel-to-reel tape. That's how they, like, programmed them. That's nuts. I mean, anybody that's, you know, even a sort of audio nerd out there understands that, like, you know, with computers, you have so much precision as to, like, when audio, you know, connects or synchronizes with picture and stuff like that. But reel-to-reel tape is literally magnetic tape. You can can automate a start and stop of, of something like that, but it has to all be a program that runs in sync with these other devices, you know, the the, uh, the movement of the animatronics and stuff, and then it just stops and it's all kind of synced up together. It's another thing that at the Family Museum, you can really see how they did sound sync in the early days of like, you know, Fantasia, for example, where every little audio cue syncs up with a visual, you know, to the, on the dime. And it's so difficult to do. Uh, We take it for granted, you know, how analog and hands-on and really just required so much thought, you know, to, to do all that stuff. So you're right. Even this kind of, kind of poor man's version of that, still quite impressive. Oh, very much so. And also if you, if you want to get a sense of how impressive it is, just go over to YouTube and watch watch these lovely characters when something <laughs> goes wrong. It's terrifying, uh, and it's worth it's worth your time if you're like I don't have enough nightmares on a on a daily basis. And it left a mark pop culturally in that respect too, because of things like Five Nights at Freddy's, you know, where you mm-hmm. have these like animatronic things jump scaring you, you know, and all of yeah. that. Yeah, uh, because it is it is nightmare fuel when the skins are off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so with that, let's give some shout outs, some credit where it's due to the other people associated with the design of Chuck E. Cheese and other characters. Bob Flemates uh, or Fleemates, uh, and then engineers like Larry 
Emmons and Rob Milner. Uh, these are all Atari guys. And then Harold Goldbranson is the one who said, let's put some skin on these. Let's make them not look like Westworld minus minus mask. <laughs> so Harold Goldbranson is the reason they look cute rather than sinister. Yeah, if you watch that Rocket Fire Explosion uh, documentary, there is a really good point that um, I think it's Bushnell. I can't remember which, one. One of the one of the main players points out is that you know this is a combination of many disciplines. It requires computer programming, it requires engineering by building the skeletons, and it requires things like special effects makeup experience. You know, to make these these stretched kind of you know posable, articulatable faces, and so it was all kind of coming together in this final presentation that really combined all of these completely you know different uh, backgrounds. A hundred percent. And this is where we shout out the uh, reel-to-reel tape wizard, Mike Hatcher, who programmed a lot of these movements. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, my name's Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. I just had a great conversation with Michael B. Jordan, and you can listen to it right now. Michael is known for his performances in both film and television. His breakout role was in Fruitvale Station, playing Oscar Grant, which earned him widespread praise and numerous award nominations. His portrayal of Killmonger in Marvel's Black Panther, one of my favorites, further solidified his status as one of Hollywood's leading actors, earning him widespread acclaim for his complex and compelling performance. In our conversation, Michael really opens up. You're going to love listening to it, and I can't wait for you to check it out. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. It's always the feeling when you're getting ready to, you know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. People quit. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. I am the ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the ferryman of souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tail. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. 
All 12 episodes of The Passage are available now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. So all these folks kind of Voltron up, they assemble their Avengers. As a result, the first Chuck E. Cheese Pizza Time Theater opens May 17th, 1977, San Jose. And this was an old brokerage building. It was pretty big, 5,000 square feet. They had an indoor arcade. Of course, the marquee event, the big tent here is the animatronic show. And Noel... People really liked it, and they started adding different guest characters too, right? Yeah, and again, sorry to keep harping on this, but like the same with the Country Bears Jamboree. They have several different stages and, and different kind of guest performers pop in. Also just wanted to point out that originally, I think it was just like animated torsos. They didn't even have yes. like bottom halves, and they just appeared in these kind of fake picture frames on like the wall. Like a Zoom call, yeah. Just, yeah, just like that. But no, you're right. They definitely started to bring in other characters like Dolly Dimples, who's a piano playing hippo, and the Fantasy Forest Game Preserve, which I guess that's her her band. Uh, and that was named after um, uh, Gold Branson ha- had a company called Fantasy Forest. So he named it after that. And then we also had, uh, let's see, the there was they, they made some changes. There were the there was a, a group of you know backup singers called the Warblets, and they changed them to the Mopsy Sisters. Uh, and then they had a character called Krusty the Cat, which isn't particularly appealing. And they they switched that one out for a little purple fella named Mister Munch. Yeah, they had a lot of folks in there. Uh, it's kind of like how McDonald's had its pantheon you know, in the 70s and 80s. Oh, yeah. The the Grimace, which Max pointed out to us, is apparently meant to represent a giant taste bud. Is that true, Max? Yeah. Th- according to Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. So, you know, yeah. it could be com- uh, just comedy, but that's what they said on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. It's one giant spickable. taste bud. Oh, Max, forgot to tell you, this is totally off the rails here, too. But um, we, you know, we're huge fans of public radio and Noel and I got to meet and hang out with Ophira Eisenberg from Ask Me Another. You may know her as her ripe begonias if you listen to the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we might actually be able to to talk a, a, a genuine uh, radio expert onto the show, maybe, right? Well, I guess we got to do a good job with this episode. We'll do our best. <laughs> yes. We'll see. We'll do our best yeah. to do our duty to God and our country. And Charles Entertainment Cheese. Uh, so yeah. Atari was kind of getting fed up with uh, the whole restaurant idea. It was no longer particularly aligned with their goals because they had, after all, bought a video game company, right? Right. A hundred percent. And they like that. So the thing is, you can do these fun experimental projects when times are good. But when uh, when times get a little bit leaner, the fun stuff goes out the window and you got to focus on your core mission. And Atari's having a hard time getting into the home video market and really establishing a good stake. So their parent company, Warner, sells the restaurant and concept to Nolan Bushnell. They sell him his own dream back to him in 1978 for $500,000. Bushnell 
doesn't waste any time. He doesn't give up. He incorporates the business. It's going to be Pizza Time Theater Incorporated. We're going to open more of them. I'm going to appoint myself chairman. And Gene, I need you on this. Forget Atari. Forget the suits. We're Rick Rat people through and through. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they really start to try to, you know, uh, launch a seriously uh, intense marketing campaign. They need franchisees, you know. They need swag. They need to get people aligned with this brand. And they had like a PR firm uh, that they were working with called Easley uh, Public Relations. And they were making some kind of outlandish claims that also seemed to me that might have uh, attracted some legal proceedings. But I, again, we didn't read much about that or, or anything, uh, but they claimed that the Pizza Time Theater had the only computer-controlled 3D animation outside Disneyland. A bold claim. Yeah, which, well, it's bold because what's interesting about it is that it's not true, right? It's that's the interesting part, that it's very much on purpose wrong. I don't know if we can lay this at the feet of Nolan and Gene because they cracked a deal with a uh, – well, no, they – no, you're right. They, did, they were the ones who propagated some of the embellished marketing, but they also were successful. Yeah. They got the interest of a guy named Robert L. Brock. Yeah, Bob, Bob to his friends. Bob Brock yeah. to his friends, yeah. Bob, 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 Bob Brock. Yeah, and Bob Bob Brock is the um, president of Tim. Yeah, that that's that that Tim, the one you're thinking of. No, not that, not that Tim. That's the Topeka Inn management. Topeka Inn. And uh, his old, I mean, I'm sorry, not to rag on the guy, but his claim to fame was he was incredibly rich because he owned the largest franchise of Holiday Inn hotels, the most innocuous and boring of hotels in, in all of the world. But they've sure been around for a long time. And they, they did probably, as far as I know, originate the continental breakfast, but maybe not. That's just what I associate it with. Well, every, every uh, day is a holiday at the end. You're welcome, Bob. Uh, exactly. that way. <laughs> Hotel, motel, Holiday Inn. Uh, these guys are trying to get into the tech sector now uh, to, to a degree. I think he just something he understood restaurants, you know, I mean, after all, a hotel, you know, management is part of the hospitality sector. So this is like, you know, it's a restaurant. I know what that is. The other stuff is just sort of extra, but also seems to be, you know, aligning with kind of cutting edge trends. So Brock, Invested in June of 1979, he signed a $200 million co-development deal with Bushnell, um, which gave Brock exclusive franchising rights to Pizza Time theaters in 16 states across the southern and midwestern United States. Um, the contract also included some language around some goals, right? Yeah, and this is where it gets a little bit tricky. So... This is also a turning point. This is going to be a two-part episode, folks. The contract they sign with the president of Tim uh, is <laughs> going to so – they, <laughs> Yeah, they're going to give them 200 – or 285 stores. That's what they want to grow to. And of those 285, the majority, 200 stores, are going to be operated directly by Tim the other 85 are going to be kind of sublet, sub-franchised out. And this turns out to be a bit of a Faustian bargain. 
I can see that. And Ben, just so I'm getting the term straight, would the completely owned and operated ones, would those be what you might consider like the flagship stores and then the franchised ones or like maybe in smaller markets or something like that? Or I don't know. I, I'm trying to understand experientially what would be the difference or is it just a logistical thing? Like why do it this way? Yeah, well, we're going to have to find out in part two of oh, the many snap. lives of Charles Entertainment Cheese. What have yeah. I done? I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to leave it with such a cliffhanger. Oh, let's hang on the cliff together because we'll be back this Thursday with the rest of the story. But in the meantime, too, we want to say thank you to everybody who's been tuning in while we are on the road. You might yeah. have noticed sometimes our, our mics sound a little weird. We've been recording in different hotel rooms, thanks to Max for his patience. Uh, Noel, you and I have been playing Russian roulette, basically, with Wi-Fi <laughs> connections. Yeah. Uh, it, I think you had a slow one last time. I got a slow one this time. But uh, we're not going to let that stop us from telling Mr. Cheese's story. Nah, we wouldn't. It's just too important. It's just too damn important. You know, you owe it to yourself to, to, right. to have a full understanding of the cultural experience <laughs> that is the United States. Uh, and Charles Entertainment Cheese is going to get you there. And seriously, you might think you've heard uh, the, 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 the best bits. I assure you, there is much more to come. So thanks to our research associate extraordinaire, Dr. Z, for this one. And, and more to come from this incredible story uh, in the next episode. Who else we got to thank? There's others. There's others. Oh, so many. Uh, Chuck E. Cheese. Uh, let's thank also, of course, our pal, uh, Mr. Matt Frederick, who is hanging out with us uh, here as we were on the road. Let's thank uh, Eves Jeffu, Christopher Osiotis here in spirit. Uh, and then, of course, the our own uh, field correspondent, let's call him, Alex Williams, who composed this track. He sure did. We'll see you next time, folks. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Hey, girlfriends. It's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz, this time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.